1: Bring in show music, please.
0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon on what's next.
2: My base case is we're going to continue to find a path past the pandemic broadly.
0: The Omicron variant investor returns in 2022. And what the Wall Street veteran thinks about getting back to
2: the office. For our organization, where 50% of the people who work at Goldman Sachs are in their 20s, we need to come together. We're an apprenticeship culture. We collaborate and we need to come together.
0: And the market seemed to be moving past fears of the severity of the
3: latest COVID variant however you say it.
4: I'm gonna stick with Omicron. You guys can do Omicron and Omicron.
3: I prefer Omicron. If if you're gonna give me the go-ahead for that, I'm gonna do it. People in fraternities have been lecturing me. I won't say who.
0: Plus, the rest of the stories that got us squawking today, Glaxo's COVID drug and Elon Musk on EV legislation. He's not into it. It's Tuesday, December 7th, 2021.
3: Squawk Pod begins right now.
1: Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. U.S. equity futures are up once again pretty significantly this morning. Dow futures right now indicated up by 360 points, and this comes after a gain of about 650 points yesterday. Yesterday, we already erased all the losses from last week, so these are additional gains on top of all of that. The S&P up, too, by about 62 points after gaining 1.1% yesterday, and then the Nasdaq indicated up by 304 points, so that's pretty significant too. It was up by 139 points yesterday. All of this coming as there there are some early indications, again, these are early indications, but early indications that maybe Omicron is a weaker variant. And, and that would be very good news. In fact, yesterday, uh, the Dow, the best component, the best performer of the Dow was UNH, United Healthcare, maybe on this idea that if things aren't as bad, it's not going to be such a big deal. We'll, we'll see. Uh, the experts are still saying we need a couple of weeks on this, but a, a lot of optimism and Wall Street certainly feeling all of that.
4: In in terms of background, guys, are we ripping? Remember, we asked that question last week. If, if Omicron is not as bad, do we start ripping it? So we're ripping, but we're, the, the question remains, uh, do we rip past is the old a real highs? Rip. Do we rip past the old highs? Rip yet? Not yet. Because, we're, not. we're still like no, right? 3% off we're more than this. that
3: for the Dow and the S&P.
4: This is still front and yeah. center. As recently as June, they were going to end the taper. That was last week, they said June. Yeah. Now it's March. Yep. So, uh, and, and, and what does that mean? Is that, did suddenly it occur? It really is all happening after he got reappointed. Now inflation is not transitory. Now I'm going to, we may even raise rates in the spring of next year uh, at, at this point. So what does
1: that do? It's
3: an accelerated. Uh, to the Joe, if, is that more important
1: th- than Omicron? But if you think that Omicron is not actually going to impact supply chains, is not is going to be very mild, then it would have a lower impact ostensibly on inflation. On inflation. Right. It's also perverse, right? The whole thing may be in reverse. It's also over. Also,
4: I'm going to stick with Omicron. You guys can do omicron and omicron, but I'm my whole om- my whole my whole speech yesterday is Thank right you. here. My whole speech about what we call it omicron, omega, omicron, the big O, Oscar Robertson, the little O, uh, omicron. In, in classic Greek, it's omicron. Um, so if in you classic
3: guys, Greek, it is because I'd prefer yeah. to say omicron, but I've had people telling me you're supposed to no. say omicron. No, classic Greek, it's omicron. People it's who are like in fraternities who would know better but than I do. But you know would. what
4: it says? It, how would Plato say <laughs> it? It says nobody knows.
3: I prefer Sorry. Omicron. If, if you're going to give me be, the go-ahead for that, I'm going to do it. People in I'm fraternities. People have been lecturing me. I won't say who. I like awe.
4: I like awe better than oh. I like awe, you know. too. It's
3: easier to say. Omicron feels weird, and so you got to move your mouth a
4: little too much. And it's and Andrew's going to his eyes are going to glaze over, and that that just saying ohm to you can get you back into that thing, <laughs> can it, Andrew? See? <laughs> what, that's all it is. He's like a yeah. it's like a, one of those words a hypnotist gives you, and all of a sudden you. just... Boom. Yep. You just go like that. Um, we'll move on. Uh, but I thought, you know, that was the question. Do we rip? This is ripping. This is a thousand points in two days. Except
3: The Nasdaq is still more than six percent off its all time. It's so and, and that's the one if you are going to eventually see rates higher, that's when you would expect to have a little more right. pressure on it.
4: It's up a lot. UK drug maker Glaxo Smith-Kline says it's COVID-19 antibody treatment retained effectiveness against the. Omicron variant in lab studies. The uh, the treatment developed by Glaxo and Veer Biotechnologies was slightly weakened by Omicron, but the company says that the difference wasn't significant. Uh, The results confirm earlier lab data that showed the treatment maintained activity against several of the. I'm going to call it the variant because Meg says Omicron. I've heard Meg say Omicron. I've heard Mm -hmm. Gottlieb say Omicron. So there's going to be a lot of people say Omicron. It's really either way. In Stick the dictionary, with me. Just, in the dictionary, there's just two. Meditate equal, on it. Meditate oh, on it. You like the ohm. See, I don't want to. I don't want to lose you. I don't want you I all of a sudden I think that's what the pros out. say. I'm the, an the,
1: amateur, but I think the pros say ohm. No, if you look at the read, it, did you read the article today? Classic I did, Greek. I, I did. read it
4: days ago. that classic Greek would be ah read it days ago that's why i started doing but i felt like i've been sort of out of you know whenever i say it i feel like i you know i'm going against the grain i'm ready to, to, uh, to go ahead
3: comfort
4: and, zone? It, it, no, i'm ready to go ahead and comply i mean i don't i'm afraid to not comply with anything i anymore. feel
3: like going against the grain is kind of your comfort zone so maybe stick
4: with it, it is I maybe it, it is, is. maybe, I'll stick, it is. maybe I'll stick with awe. maybe i'll
1: stick with all right Meantime, uh, coming up, I'm going to be taking a quick little trip this morning over to Goldman Sachs, and I'm going to be rejoining everybody for an exclusive interview with the chairman and CEO of David Solomon, so stay tuned for that.
0: That's right. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon coming
2: up on Omicron and much more. I'm encouraged by what I'm hearing around the variant and the trajectory of that, but I think it's still uncertain. Yet the market, certainly, is kind of looking past the variant as something that's going to be slowing down economic activity.
1: You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross, Sorkin, along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. I'm at Goldman Sachs' headquarters this morning getting ready for an exclusive interview. We're going to be bringing you in just a moment with Goldman Sachs' chairman and CEO, David Solomon. We're going to talk everything. We're going to talk about taxes, inflation, the impact of COVID on the economy, cryptocurrencies, and so much more. I am? Okay. There he is. Okay, they have me now. Sorry. Up in a sec. Investors uh, have been looking past so far the potential impact from the COVID variant that we've been dealing with also on the minds of many investors, the Fed and of course, uh, when they would begin to remove the pandemic easing policies and hike rates sooner than expected. Joining us right now to talk all about all of this and the market risk, vaccine mandates, return to work and so much more. David Solomon is here, chairman and CEO of Goldman Sachs. And thank you for having us. We are here now. This is the 12th floor. You guys just redid this place.
2: Well, first of all, Andrew, thank you for coming down to, um, to our office this morning. I'm delighted to be here with you uh, this morning. Uh, we did redo this over the course um, of the last couple of years. We started before COVID and then we paused for right. a little while, but we've moved our executive team down here uh, into the Sky Lobby in the 12th floor just so we can be more present, be more visible. And I must say, we've been here about six months. And we're really enjoying it. It's just it keeps us much more connected to, uh, to what's going on in the building.
1: It's pretty cool. I, I got a little tour early early morning tour. Uh, let's talk markets, though, and try to just understand where we are and what's going through your brain as we're dealing with both the Fed on one side and this variant on the other. And then the markets and the valuation as you see them.
2: Well, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, you know, I, I, I know that we're all looking for answers. But I think we need more time to see how this all plays out. Um, um, I'm encouraged uh, by what I'm hearing uh, around the variant and the trajectory of that, but I think it's still uncertain. Yet the market certainly, certainly, and this morning is another indication, is kind of looking past the variant as something that's gonna be slowing down economic activity. But we're still not completely out of the pandemic. There's uncertainty that comes from that. And that uncertainty is gonna affect economic activity. And we're gonna have to deal with that in some way. Against that, we clearly have real inflation in the economy. We've got a variety of uh, problems, headwinds, uh, issues that have occurred because we went into a pandemic, we shut the economy down, and now we're turning right. it back on. That's really unprecedented. Um, and you know, on top of that, we have shifts going on in fiscal and monetary policy to try to balance that. And so there's no, there's no question that this has been an unprecedented period. And so it's very hard to predict how we're going to come out of this. So
1: one of the singular questions we've been asking on the program this past week or so, given the emergence of this variant, is if the variant is mild and it's not something that we're, we need to be as concerned about as I think the worst-case outcomes would have been, does that mean that the market rips, if you will, or is the Fed on the other side going to keep that from happening? Meaning, what's, well, what's more important right now?
2: My, my base case, Andrew, is we're going to continue to find a path past the past the pandemic broadly right. um, this will be endemic in society we're going to have to live with it but we're going to find a way to live with it effectively and economic activity will flourish i don't believe we're in a new paradigm where the world will be fundamentally different but it's going to take some time to move forward in the context of that i think that monetary and fiscal policy on a go forward basis will have a bigger impact on the trajectory of markets than the pandemic will from this point forward that doesn't mean there won't be periods of time or in the short term A variant can flare up. There's there's news that affects markets in the short term. But the bigger issue to focus now is we've had unprecedented monetary and fiscal policy for a meaningful period of time. And we're going to emerge from that and unwind that. And that's going to have an impact. It's had a big impact on asset prices, market activity, and a variety of things. It's going to have an impact on those things as we unwind it and find the balance. And the thing that I don't have the answer to, none of us have the answer to, is can that be done in a smooth way where we take a little bit of the air out with with not a lot of bumps in volatility, or are we gonna have some bumps in volatility along the way?
1: Okay, you spend a lot of time talking to the CEOs of corporate America and around the world. And so when you talk to them about this and really talk to them about the issue of valuation, oftentimes about their own stocks, because they're thinking about whether they should be pursuing different transactions, what their own values are, what are you telling them at this point? Is this a fairly valued market? Do you say, look, things are, you're, you're valued very highly. Take advantage of the currency now. I mean, what's the, the thought?
2: Well, there's no question that, that looking at the market broadly, valuations are full in any historical context. And so if you're talking to companies that have a very, very strong currency, you're certainly encouraging them if they have aspirations to deploy capital and put that capital to work. This is an interesting time to think about it. Also, for most companies, borrowing rates and the ability to access capital through debt finance has never been cheaper. And so it's been a very, very good time to think about investing in business and deploying capital. I think it depends on the company and the particular company that you're talking to. I think the market has been very enamored with growth at all costs. And I think we're seeing a little bit of the momentum come out of that over the course of the last couple of weeks. A lot of these businesses that have very, very strong top line growth but haven't yet proven whether or not the business model really generates earnings over the long term, I think those are gonna be a tougher slog, and I'd, you know, I'd encourage those companies to make sure they have the capital in place to execute on their growth plans while that capital's available. I think some of that can rebalance in the coming months you know, over time, um, but it's not one size fits all, uh, and you can look through the spectrum of the market right. and you can see different valuations for different when businesses. When
1: you look though at what's happening, for example, in the IPO market, or frankly, the SPAC market, is that something that persists and continues apace? Do you feel it's slowing down? Do you feel it's speeding back up again? I mean, we've sort of had this, this, this undulating roller coaster.
2: Um, it's, there's, there's been some undulation, to use your word, um, but there's no question SPAC activity has come way off its peaks. SPACs are good capital markets innovation. They're not perfect. There's been an evolution in disclosure in the process around SPACs. I think SPACs are here to stay, but I don't think we're going to regularly see the volume of activity. Um, and the surplus of activity that we saw in the early part of this year.
1: And when you talk about inflation, again, with clients, are you in the category of cash is trash and, and inflation's going to make that cash, you know, not just worthless, but worth less? Or are you in the category of you might actually want to keep a little bit because there might be an opportunity coming?
2: Well, once again, not black and white. Um, I, I do think that we've lived for a long time with inflation below trend. And I think one of the things that, that I'm concerned about, or I think about a lot, is people have kind of lost a historical perspective on what markets look like and what is normal. From a, from a monetary policy perspective, what we've had over the last decade is truly unusual. And I remember, and I know historically, I've been around doing this you know, since the 1980s, I remember when we had a very, very different environment and we could have a different environment again. And so right. I do think that while we've had inflation below trend for quite a significant period of time, There's a reasonable chance that we're going to have inflation above trend for a period of time. Doesn't mean it has to be like the 1970s. Could be. Doesn't have to be. But when you think about periods where there's inflation, inflation hurts asset prices and it slows down your ability to make money with almost any asset. From 1970 to 1980, there was almost nothing you could own where you made money. Basically, during that 10-year period, oil and gold cash, you lost money. If you own U.S. equities during that 10-year period, you lost nearly 50% of the value of your holdings. So people forget the historical perspective. It wasn't too long ago in 2004 to 2006, I think it was June 2004 to June 2006, as the Fed normalized rates. They hiked 17 times in that two-year period. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think we're living in a world where people are forgetting the history, and this might be you know, a period that's different, we could go back to another period that looks materially different from this. And so I think you've got to be cautious and manage your risk appropriately right. for the distribution or the chance that that might happen.
1: What do you think about bank valuations? Your bank's done quite well recently.
2: Well, like any other CEO, you know, I think that, that my company and my stock is underappreciated and undervalued. Um, there's no question there's been a, a markup in bank valuations. I think the earnings power of the traditional financial services sector is quite powerful um, and we get a very very low multiple on those earnings i think there's a perception because of the last 10 to 15 years that there's greater volatility in that earning stream um, than i think there is at this point that doesn't mean that there can't be volatility in those earnings streams but i think that as a group there is much much more fee-based durable recurring revenue i think you know that we're working on shifting our mix to continue to increase that and I think at some point in time, they still upside because the earnings power of these institutions, the franchises that they, that they hold is really quite What powerful. do you
1: think about fintech valuations on the other hand?
2: I, I think that fintech valuations at the moment project a view of the future because there are very few fintechs that actually make money at this point in time. Um, to the degree that some of these platforms turn out to be sustainable platforms that really have business models where they can make a lot of money, some of them will look to be cheap over a period of time. To the degree that they can't convert to a business model that can actually make money, they'll be absorbed or they'll go away. But I think it's a a mixed bag. And what's clear to me is some of them will be a huge success. Some of them won't. But I also think the incumbent players, there's a big disruption going on in the digitization of financial services and how they're delivered, whether it's to institutions or to individuals. And I think the incumbents are going to play a big role in that. And I think upstart fintechs are going to play a big role in that. Not everybody's going to be a winner in every way, um, but the market's probably ahead on some, but not ahead on others.
1: Um, I want to talk crypto in just a moment, but okay. Becky's got a question. Sure. Bex.
2: Hey, David, great to see you this
3: morning. Thanks for, for, for joining us. I know you have been somebody who thinks it's really important to be in the office. So I'd like to ask where you think the majority of office places are going to be, let's say a couple of years from now, maybe when the job market shifts a little bit and it's not quite as competitive. And will those offices be in places like New York City?
2: So um, first, Becky, it's great to see you and appreciate your having me on. I I think this is a complex question. And my view on this, and I I talked to Andrew about this um, a couple of months ago when we were together at an event, I've been very focused on Goldman Sachs and what's right for Goldman Sachs and what Goldman Sachs needs to do to continue to serve its clients and be super competitive in our business. For our organization, which is an organization where 50% of the people who work at Goldman Sachs are in their 20s. We need to come together. We're an apprenticeship culture, we collaborate, and we need to come together. That doesn't mean that there can't be flexibility, that doesn't mean the technology can't lever that flexibility, but generally speaking, for our organization, we need to come together. I think in most businesses, collaboration is important, but every business has to determine what's best for that business to serve their clients or their customers, to compete, to retain their talent. I'm talking to a lot of you know, our employees who are in their 20s. They don't want to be sitting at home in a small apartment. They want to be with other people their age. They want to be collaborating. They want to be learning. They want to be in touch. And so every company is going to choose its journey um, along a path to how to get back to work. I'm not good. I don't have a crystal ball to say where everyone comes out. But generally speaking, we're social creatures. um, And I'd be, you know, I'd be cautious about interpolating forward, you know, a permanent state uh, based on what we see at the moment.
3: What about New York City?
2: Well, I think in New York City, one of the reasons why I'm an advocate here in New York City, I think it's very important for the economic vitality of New York City to get people back into the city and get people back working. If you go through Midtown during the day, it's getting a little bit better. But think about all the small businesses and all the organizations that are still, you know, under enormous pressure because we don't have that economic ecosystem where people come during the day. So I think for big urban centers, they have to be attractive. You have to bring people in. Um, There's got to be a balance I think technology allows more flexibility, but generally speaking, uh, you know, I think it's important for New York to continue to bring people together. And I think one of the strengths in New York is that young people want to be here. And I don't think young people want to be locked in their apartments. I think they want to be here. They want to participate. Go out at night. The city's very, very busy. And so I think we're in a transition to getting people back engaged, and hopefully we'll make more progress over the next six months. But I think it's very, very important for economic vitality in the city.
1: By the way, what do you think of Eric Adams?
2: Uh, I'm excited about Eric Adams and, you know, very, very hopeful that he's I know you, leave worried, the, you leave,
1: about the city, though,
2: leave the city forward. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned. And I I said this, you know, publicly, you know, recently, you know, history will tell you that no city's place in the world is permanent. Right. And it's important that um, that all cities are attractive for business and for people to live and cost of living, the vitality of the city, you know, what the city offers, taxes, all those things go into an equation. That either attracts and retains and sustains people, or at times put pressure on that. And what's, so, what's your safety, bet on New York? But, well, my bet on New York, and I said this clearly when I was interviewed about this. New York's not going away, but there's no question that safety, security, right. cleanliness, these things matter. And I'm really hopeful. Um, and I've heard from from the mayor-elect directly um, that you know he's going to be focused on these things. And I think these things matter in any urban center.
1: Uh, before we were talking about fintech, I said I'd get to crypto. Has the Solomon family changed its view on crypto? Do you, do you own Bitcoin or Ethereum
2: personally? I, I, don't, I don't personally own Bitcoin or Ethereum, and I don't I don't have a strong view. When you say I've changed my view, I don't I don't know what you think my view is. My view on on, on Bitcoin, for example, is I really don't know, but it's really not something, you know, individually that's important to me. Right. I'm a big believer in the digitization uh, that is occurring and the disruption that's occurring. In the way financial services are delivered, as I right. said to you, both for institutions right. and for individuals, I think it's a massive shift. We're trying to participate in it, right. based on what we're doing around Goldman Sachs Marcus and our digital right. banking platform. But do you want your clients in it? I'm sorry. Do you want your clients in it? I, I want our clients to 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 do what they think they want to do. As a speculative asset, is it interesting? And are some of our clients participating? Absolutely. But whether it goes up or down, my guess is look at the last week it's going right. to go up it's going to go down i don't know what the permanent state of bitcoin is but i think bitcoin is really not the key thing the key thing is how can blockchain or other technologies that right. are not developed yet accelerate the pace of the digitization of the way financial services are delivered and i you know i just talked to you about right. our digital bank you know that we just made an announcement out at aws reinvent yep. about a platform the financial cloud that we're building in partnership with aws for institutional clients all of that is the changing of the digital processes that kind of lubricate the way financial services right. are delivered. And I think that's a big opportunity, and we're excited about that. And that's that gives a your clients
1: almost direct access through APIs and such into the data set that is Goldman Sachs. Joe's got a question for you.
4: Andrew, I know you got a lot of places you want to go. We could, David, it's good to see you. We could do this for... Uh, probably longer than an hour, but just real quickly. So rates are probably after years of, of what we've seen, they're probably headed the other way someday. Art is Goldman Sachs factoring in a lower average return for equities over the next three or four years than we've seen for the past three or four. It's just a simple question. Do you think it has to be that way? Are we back to like mid single digits? Maybe.
2: So, so Joe, I, uh, I I would never say it has to be, um, because has to be is uh, is stronger than I would make it. But it's certainly, we would expect that we're not going to see the same rate of returns in equities and many other assets over the next few years that we've seen over the last couple of years. It's been an extraordinary disruption in markets. Um, And in the context of that, you've seen some skewed results. And so I'm I'm not a believer that double-digit equity returns compounding in perpetuity is something as an investor you should expect um i have been involved in a number of investment committees and you know charitable foundations college board etc and certainly my mindset is the returns we've received over the course of the last three to five years are different than what we should expect as we go forward from here
1: um what we have you here also wanted to ask you a little bit about china because it's a controversial topic uh golden sachs has spent a lot of time trying to build a business and you are committed to building a business in china and yet we're at this moment where a lot of people are looking at the human rights issues that are taking place in that country and thinking about what is the role of an American business. Oftentimes, vocal American businesses here when it comes to ESG or voting rights or or, 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 or all sorts of other issues. Uh, you've been very outspoken about gender equality, for example, and yet doing business in China at the same time
2: so the the geopolitical relationship between the US and China is is very complex and that's going to continue for sure we've been investing in our business in China for a long time because China is a very important part of the economic vitality of our world broadly and we have clients that we serve around the world that are clearly exposed to economic activity all over the world and we want to continue to serve them I think when you think about policy actions it's not our job as a private enterprise to set policy actions but we watch um, appropriately, and we obviously will respond to policy actions as they're set. I obviously don't like the human rights violations that I see in that part of the world. But I think that from a policy perspective, we have to strike a balance across this because we're very economically entwined, and it's not simple. There are places where I think we have to cooperate, and I would point to climate as a great example, and I can highlight, for example, a, um, a green finance working group that we're involved in establishing that's got both public and private sector leaders coming together with a particular focus on China's transition. And then there are places like human rights violation where we have to confront and try to get a different result. But if people are looking for a black and white answer, I think right. that's, that's going to be a very, very hard execution. But we've got to continue to focus on this because we're very economically entwined.
1: What do you think the role, though, of businesses to speak out or not can, they speak, can a business leader speak out on a human rights issue, for example, in China? I think, you know, for example, uh, Adam Silver at the NBA has, has, has tried to thread this needle. Ray Dalio was on our air last week trying to thread a needle, and it didn't work. Um, Elon Musk was speaking at a Wall Street Journal event last night, very pro-China, and I think there were a lot of people who were critiquing him, saying, does he feel he can't say something critical of China because he has so much business in China?
2: So I can't speak for everybody else, but I generally try to stick to business and I leave policymakers to set policy. And, you know, I just commented, I said to you, I don't don't approve of of the human rights violations that are going on. And so that's a point of view, but it's not my job to set policy. We need government to set policy. We need them to legislate. We need them to interact in that geopolitical relationship. And it's our job to balance and run business based on the parameters that are set up. And I think, you know, I think Joe said this or somebody said this on your show earlier this week. If we got into a debate of everything that goes wrong somewhere in the world every day and how right. business is responsible for that, we get ourselves to a very complex place. I don't think any of you are advocating that's where we want to go.
1: Uh, we got to let you go. I know you gotta, you got a big conference today.
2: We do. We've got our financial services conference here um, where we've got a broad group of financial services companies uh here with uh with investors and so that should be an interesting day and a lot of discussion about some of the things you and i were talking about digitization uh crypto uh changes and disruption to the way those services are delivered so we're looking forward to that
1: i do have to barry manilow that's what i said i listened to the podcast he he did a podcast last week guys and barry manilow My, my
2: dad no my dad loved barry manilow and unfortunately my dad's not with us and so sometimes when i hear barry manilow i think about my dad it's a great memory
1: David Solomon, thank you for joining us this morning.
2: Thanks a lot. Shit. Good to be with you fun all. Fun. Thank you very much. Good thank to be Thank you. Still to come
0: on Squawk Pod, Tesla CEO Elon Musk says the U.S. should get rid of all government subsidies.
4: You may be further right than uh, someone near and dear to me.
5: Myself! We're back after this. You'll get support from people who care about your success from before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals, knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: Up track. Stand by Joe.
0: Welcome back to Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan.
4: Elon Musk, uh, say what you really think someday Uh, coming out against EV subsidies and efforts to pass that $2 trillion social spending bill in Washington. He said, can the whole thing was his, uh, was the quote. Uh, And speaking uh, to the Wall Street Journal CEO Council Summit last night, Musk Musk said that Tesla hasn't been eligible for EV purchase tax credits in years, doesn't need them. Here he is on uh, President Biden's Build Back Better plan. Uh, and government EV support that was included in the recently passed other bill, the infrastructure bill.
1: I would say, honestly, I would just can this whole bill. Don't pass it. That's my recommendation.
3: What, what about what about the the support though for the charging network? I mean, there are there are parts of this Unnecessary. bill. Unnecessary. No.
1: No. I mean, you know, do we need support for gas stations? Uh, we don't. So. Uh, there's no, there's no need for this uh, for for support for a charging network. I would delete it. Delete.
4: And Musk added that he's uh, against all subsidies and uh, decent haircuts, uh, including those uh, for the oil and gas industry. <laughs>
3: The only thing I would say is my mic was closed before I was kind of narrating as you were reading some of this stuff. you got to remember, this bill is going to, if it passes ever, help his competitors far more than it would help him because it will give subsidies to union-based EV factories in the United States. And and obviously Tesla and Toyota are not, so they've been opposed to this from the get-go.
4: Well, you know, I go back to the the Asperger's comment. You know, he can do no wrong. In, in my eyes, Saturday Night for, Live. It
3: was it was a yeah, pretty great performance. He's awesome. Yeah.
4: He's great, and and now God, he's uh, he may be further right than uh, someone near and dear to me. You, myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: That's the podcast for today. As always, Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at six Eastern. Listen to and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts, and tell us what you think. We're on Twitter at Squawk CNBC, and you can leave a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
1: We are clear. Thanks, guys.